Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to another weekly Bible study. Apologizing to those of you who were waiting for a Bible study last week. Um, I was on a bit of a break with my family, so but I'm back again now and the kids are all back at school. So we're back into the rhythm and the routine of our weekly sermons and our weekly Bible studies. So today I'm going to need us to turn in our own Bibles to Psalm 52, because today's uh, Bible study uh, probably not going to make much sense unless you can see the scriptures in front of you. Um, I will be reading it obviously at some point, but um, this one is probably a little bit more tricky than the other Psalms that we, that we know quite well. So while you are getting your Bible um, ready or getting it handy, I'm going to pray for us and then we can get into our Bible study for today. Lord Jesus, we set aside this time now to reflect on your scriptures. Thank you, Lord God, that although these words were written over 2,000 years ago, that they can speak words of wisdom and insight into our lives today. And so we open up our minds and our hearts to hear your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I'm going to ask us to do is not to even start reading from Psalm 52 as yet, because um, I don't think that those nine verses will make much sense to us unless we can understand that there is a backstory to this. Now, I'm not sure what translations of the Bible you have uh, there that you're looking at, or even what versions of the Bible commentaries that you may be using. But um, in a lot of the Bibles, they have a little heading just next to the title of the psalm. So the one I'm using is the New Living Translation. It's the Interpreter's, um, sorry, the Life Application Study Bible. And so what it says next to Psalm 52 is, For the choir director, this is a psalm of David regarding the time that Doeg the Edomite told Saul that Abimelech had given refuge to David. Now, a lot of people, when we read that, we think, okay, that's interesting, and then we just go headlong into the psalm. But the words of the psalm today, um, I dare suggest, are going to make very little sense unless we go back to the story of Doeg uh, the Edomite and this whole incident that took place where Abimelech had given refuge to David. Because the words that the psalmist, and we believe it's David in this, uh, in this case, have written have a lot to do. In fact, we believe um, there's strong, strong opinion that Psalm 52 is based on this uh, story that took place. So um, if you want to carry on, maybe later on after this Bible study and read the whole version of it, you would go to 1 Samuel 21 and 1 Samuel 22. So that's two chapters in there. But I'm going to just give you a quick summary of it, just for the sake of time, otherwise we won't even get into Psalm 52. So really what happened, and you would remember that King Saul had become very threatened by David, and so David was ducking and diving and running away from Saul and Saul's army, and he was finding refuge in various places, sometimes in caves and sometimes with other people. Now Abimelech uh, was the priest, and uh, he had uh, given refuge to David. But what happened is in that incident, and like I say, 1 Samuel 21, 22 will give you a lot more uh, meat to the story. 
this guy, Doeg the Edomite, was present and saw David being given refuge by Abimelech. Um, it's thought that Doeg himself was probably one of Saul's shepherds or hired men, and he was around at that particular time. So cutting a long story short, Doeg went and he told King Saul that he had seen David being sheltered by Abimelech. To, you know, when King Saul heard this news, he was absolutely livid, and um, he was so angry that he sent his army and particularly uh, some of his soldiers with the intention of killing not only Abimelech, but all of the priests that were under uh, his care, because where he stayed was in a place called Nob. And in that particular region, it, um, it was the home of many of the priests. So Saul's soldiers, his faithful soldiers, uh, refused to kill the priests. They didn't want to um, lay their hands on the men of God. And so what happened is that Doeg himself, single-handedly, Samuel tells us, killed 85 priests himself. And then, just to make matters worse, killed all of their families, their, their wives and their children, and their livestock and basically the whole household he annihilated because he was felt that he was doing King Saul um, his, his duty and um, he didn't want to disappoint King Saul and was really seeing himself as his henchman and his right-hand man. So all of this, like I said, just a little bit of a, of a, of a backstory helps us now understand why David writes these words. Now, also before we even get into this, we must remember that the Psalms were written for a musical uh, presentation in the temple often. So in telling this story, this violent story, David is wanting people to see, this is the overview of it, that even though evil um, is around and evil seems to be winning the day, that in the end, if we remain faithful to God, God's justice will be done. Okay, so let me start from verse 1, and uh, we'll just reflect on this uh, together. So it starts off by saying this, You call yourself a hero, do you? Why boast about this crime of yours, you who have disgraced God's people? So he is speaking here in verse 1, we believe, to the informer who is Doeg, the one who, um, yeah, kind of calling himself the hero now because not only did he tell Saul about what had, um, what had happened with David being sheltered by Abimelech, but he was the one who also disgraced God's people by being the, um, uh, the one who killed them. All day long, verse 2, all day long you plot destruction, your tongue cuts like a sharp razor, you're an expert at telling lies. So if we come back to um, this, this whole thing of Doeg being the informer and telling Saul about what he had seen, up to this particular point, all that he had done is spoken words. And so maybe at this point, he didn't realize that his words may have led to the, the, the death of all the, the priests. Maybe he just wanted to get David into trouble or... Um, you know, get David found out and, and maybe Amimelech would have been, been uh, killed. But one has to say, well, perhaps Doeg didn't know that it would get this kind of um, 
response from King Saul. But in truth, it's his initial words in telling on David that cut like a sharp razor in his lies and in his deception, they eventually lead to the murder of these 85 priests and their families. Although later on as the story unfolds, we know that Doeg himself is the one who picks up the sword to, to kill them. So I think it's important for us if we think about it in our own time, is that where we see this verse says, your tongue cuts like a sharp razor, is that the power of our words is um, very important to analyze. Because our words can be quick, and sometimes they can be as sharp as a razor, and we may not intend them to do permanent damage or harm, but we must always remember that they can cause some kind of destruction in other people's lives. Um, I think it is James in the New Testament who relates the power of the tongue and gossip to being like a raging wild fire. So we need to just bear that in mind ourselves. Verse 3 says that you love evil more than good and you love lies more than truth, which knowing the story, that makes sense. Um, verse 4, you love to say things that harm others, you liar. And again, that could, reply, I mean, that could apply to the story of Saul and Doeg and that whole incident, but it also could um, apply to what happens in our own context. Sometimes people say things that harm others and they, they mean it intentionally and they can be um, lying about certain things just so they can look better or make other people look bad. Then verse 5 says, But God will strike you down once and for all. He will pull you from your home and drag you from the land of the living. Now, just as we hear those words, they seem, um, yeah, they seem very graphic and very vivid. And I wonder if this isn't kind of what Doeg himself did when he went to find the wives and the children and the household servants of those 85 priests, where maybe he pulled them from their homes, dragged them out of the confines and the security of um, their, you know, their communities, and then killed them. So perhaps David is using the same imagery to say to, to these people, look what you have done, so God will do in return. Then verse 6 says to us, the righteous will see it and be amazed. They will laugh and say, look what happens to the mighty warriors who do not trust in God. They trust their wealth instead and grow more and more bold in their wickedness. So here we see the whole scenario starting to shift and change. That the righteous, those God-fearing people will begin to see the tables turned now on the evil and they will laugh in the sense of, ha, now you guys are getting your comeuppance. And they will even start to taunt them in some way by saying, look what happens to you, you mighty warriors. And maybe we could even use that phrase in inverted commas because they are no longer going to be mighty warriors. At one time they couldn't consider themselves heroes, but now they won't be mighty warriors. I am... Um, I came across a commentary from Michael Willock, and it's very interesting what he says here, that verse 7 could be um, seen as Doeg and his kind of people. This could be seen as their epitaph. You know, when someone has passed away, you have the, the words written on their, 
on the grave and the epitaph could read something like they trusted in their wealth. You know, that's what people will remember of them, or they were wicked people. But then, if that is their epitaph, what would our testimony be? Because there's this, this understanding that those who have done this injustice and this evil will be dealt with, and they will themselves will be destroyed. But those who are left to be alive, um, or alive in God, will have a testimony, because we won't be seen as being dead as yet. So our testimony would then be verse 8. And verse 8 is a lovely, a lovely image that comes to us. It says, But I am like an olive tree, thriving in the house of God. I trust in Sorry about that. The uh, microphone just fell. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. And if you're noticing the language of the psalm, you will see that this verse 8 suddenly begins to speak about a person in the singular. And this is possibly David speaking of his own accord, because remember, he was the one who was in the, in the center of this whole big scandal. Uh, he was seeking refuge. He was running away from Saul. Abimelech sheltered him. It is kind of his fault, if you like, that the priest got killed because Saul's paranoia and his rage ended up causing all of this destruction. So David is now saying, look, this has all happened. These people have died. You are going to die yourselves. But I am like an olive tree thriving in the house of God. Now, he's not speaking about a literal olive tree because I don't think we could picture that in the middle of the temple or even in our own churches, like this big olive tree. But it's a great symbol. Um, the olive tree um, is a very, very clear biblical symbol. It's, the olive tree has been around for thousands and thousands of years. The spiritual richness of the olive tree is, is profound. Things like the olive tree is evergreen. It is hardy. It's, uh, it's something that, that's fruit of valued. Um, it's very practical. It lives a long, long time. Um, they tell us that the, the olive tree can produce fruit for hundreds of years. Uh, it can grow to 30 to 40 feet tall even. And there's um, this understanding that some of the olive trees that were in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus himself was praying in, the, in Gethsemane, which by the way means the olive press, um, are still alive, or certainly the, their parents were, if that's the right word, I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure of the, the technical term, but they, they are offshoots of the original olive trees. So this image that David is using here is saying to those who've gone before him, those evil people, look, I trust in God's unfailing love, and God's unfailing love is forever and ever, and because of that, I will be able to thrive. Not just survive and to get by, but I will thrive. And then I will praise you forever, O God, for what you have done. I will wait for your mercies in the presence of your people. So there's also this understanding that what God is still to reveal in the future, um, not everything has been revealed, so God's mercies will still be displayed. David will wait for more and more of those. But it's in the presence of God's people, in the worship uh, and here's this little twist of irony in a way, because it was the priests and their families, the, the worshippers and those who led the worship who were destroyed by Doeg. But now 
years later or in the future, David is saying, we will wait for God's mercies in the presence of your people. So godly people will still be together, still worshiping. God is still faithful, and we will be able to thrive in the house of God. One last thing that I want us to, to look at before we uh, close, and remember that these words themselves um, can speak to us in our own context. And, and you know what is God saying to us about being an olive tree? Do we feel like an olive tree? Are we producing the fruit? Do we trust in God's unfailing love? Um, have we been hurt by sharp words, razors cutting into our souls? We must always reflect on that because God's word does speak to us in our present times. But the other thing, the last thing that I want to mention is, as you know, I love looking at the Psalms uh, through the lens of Jesus. Um, the whole thing of Jesus in the Psalms. And, and David, knowing that there was room for a Messiah, believing in a Messiah, could also even be pointing to, to Jesus. And, and when we look at this um, Psalm, and you can read it again now when, when we finished, you look at this Psalm in the context of what was happening in the passion of Jesus, how it seemed that his enemy um, was, was winning the battle, that, that those who had spoken lies against him, those who plotted destruct, destruction, they were, they were winning, they were getting their way. Jesus was taken to the cross. But in the end, God has the last laugh because he defeats the purposes of man and Jesus remains like an olive tree thriving in the house of God. Although we, we know that he died, was raised to life, and then ascended into heaven, that whole sense of, of Christ being amongst us in the power of his spirit and, and that we can praise God who is from everlasting to everlasting. It is this image of Jesus that will, will help us to see the psalm in, the, in our present contexts. So I know that I've shared a lot around the psalm, and maybe it's not a psalm that you've read recently, but I ask us to reflect on it and uh, just also see how God's kindness and his faithfulness still comes through in the end, despite the very tragic circumstances that unfolded in the beginning of this psalm. So friends, let us pray together. Lord God, we thank you that even in the midst of difficulties, and um, when evil seems to be winning, that, Lord God, you will have the last laugh. Help us to keep our trust and our faith in you, to keep our eyes fixed on you. And, Lord Jesus, may we trust in your unfailing love forever and ever. We wait patiently for your mercies to be revealed in the presence of your people, but we ask, Lord God, that we would be able to thrive like the olive tree in the midst of your temple. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening in. And thank you to those of you who responded and let me know that you are listening to the Bible studies. I really appreciate that. And uh, I can almost picture those of you who have already replied listening to this. So may God bless you. And uh, we'll chat again sometime. Amen.